Welcome to Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. However, I believe there is a more immediate threat. Thousands and thousands of feet of film consumed. Hours and hours of work expended by technicians. And once it's been erased and shredded, it can be done all over again. As all of you know, I've devoted much of my life to convincing the world that travel through film was not only possible, but necessary to survive. We're back and ready for action. It's episode 28, the Triple Threat Theater. I'm Joe Daxberger. Ryan Miller here, prepped and ready. Oh. Millsy the prepper. <laughs> that could fit with this episode, you know. <laughs> You're right, it could. <laughs> Are you even remotely about that prepper lef- lifestyle? No. No. No, not at all. You know, where you live, I would expect there's got to be a local bomb shelter or some neighbor has uh, something built into the... I mean, we have a small arsenal in case, uh, you know, the remaining survivors of the apocalypse turn into albinos and want to Mm. attack us with pitchforks and and torches, Mm -hmm. like one of the movies we're going to talk about. But uh, past (laughs) that, no, we don't have like, I don't have like a stockade of uh, canned food and bottled water. There's no like rows of pickled foods down in the basement? (laughs) No, (laughs) no. You and I were just talking about how I don't even really I don't I'm not a big fan of pickles, so that's true. I'm not made for the post apocalypse. No. <laughs> oh man. What do the pickle haters do in the apocalypse? <laughs> they, gotta, they starve. Yeah. Got chips and like uh tuna. <laughs> I mean that's all I've ever really seen in post apocalyptic stuff. Yeah, you're... I don't I'm not a fish guy either. I do not dig Ooh. on tuna. Man, so you can't even like go out and fish and catch a meal. You're gonna have to hunt. Yeah, but well, like I it's said, we do have the weaponry for that. We have rifles and shotguns aplenty in my house. How many yards out do you think you can get a buck from? <laughs> uh, it's been a long time since I fired a gun, but I feel like mm. I'm all right. Uh, okay. okay shot. All right. All right. You know, video games, dexterity might come into play. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I would trust that logic, but <laughs> Big I like where your hunter. head's at. Yeah. Well, Millsy- I have a pretty decent kill-death ratio on uh, Battlefield 1 for PlayStation 4. Okay, okay. Well, you know, in the event that this all goes down and somehow I make it all the way to you or vice versa, you make it to your way to me, mm-hmm. we we could be in the bush somewhere trying to catch or capture some deer. So, well, sure. I, I mean, if it comes down to the video game skills, uh, mm. I'm making the long trek to you and we're going to hole up with the Lolar brothers because the two of them mm. are a force to be reckoned with. And, yeah. Uh, Tacticians, those, those first-person shooter games. That's a good point. That's a good point. All right, all right. I'm going to table that. <laughs> well, anyways, so now that people are thinking, what the hell are these two animals talking about? <laughs> Episode 28, Millsy, The Last Man on Earth. What mm-hmm. could it mean? Well, if you didn't guess from my little uh, hint a moment ago about the albinos with torches, uh, we're talking about movies about... The last man on Earth, mm. in each case. Um, yep. We got the Omega Man. We do, 1971. From, mm-hmm. We have the Quiet Earth, probably a little less known, from 1985. Indeed. And then a man in spirit, a man in heart, a robot in physical form, Wally from 2008. Mm. 
It could be said Wally's got more heart than plenty of characters in these other movies we watched. That's true. True story. Thanks to Wally and the Iron Giant, I've long said that the only movies that can make me well up with tears are the ones about sad robots. So I think there's something to the fact that either I am actually a robot or (laughs) I identify with them at least more than people. Uh, hmm, interesting. If I was smarter and paid more attention in psychology, I might be able to unpack that. <laughs> Alas, I cannot. Wouldn't that be something if you found out 28 episodes in you've been recording a podcast with a robot? Oh, yeah, that'd be wild. <laughs> Stranger things have happened. Have they? <laughs> <laughs> what kind of life are you living? Oh, well, you know, it gets wild out here sometimes. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Uh-huh. How familiar were you? With, of course, everyone knows Wally. Mm-hmm. As they should. I'm going to guess you. Let me see if I can I can figure this out. You've seen Wally, certainly. Yes. I'm going to say Omega Man was on your radar mm-hmm. and you've never seen it. Maybe the same with Quiet Earth. I'll go with that. I'll go with that. Interesting. Uh, I've seen all three Ugh, before. Shit. Uh, I've actually seen all three versions of the Omega Man. Oh? There was The Last Man on Earth, which is where the title for this episode comes from, mm-hmm. starring Vincent Price from the 60s. There's The Omega Man with Charlton Heston from the 70s, and there's I Am Legend with Will Smith from the 2000s, mm-hmm. all based on the Richard Matheson novel, I Am Legend. Correct. Okay. And... uh yeah, the Quiet Earth. I I don't know. I watched it back in my oft discussed uh, Netflix binge mm-hmm. when I got out of school and had a back injury and just watched movies for two years. Right. Don't remember how I heard about it, but that was going to be my follow up question. So that's good. I literally have never heard of this movie. It doesn't surprise me yeah. too much. Not that you just that most oh. people <laughs> wouldn't have Fair heard enough. of it. I mean, it is a. Uh... Science fiction post-apocalyptic film from New Zealand. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you had seen Wally, and that's it. I'm assuming. Correct. I was. I'm familiar with, or was familiar with the Omega Man. I think I knew. I mean, I saw the I Am Legend with Will Smith in the theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe was like aware of the story beforehand. Maybe, but I'm not even sure. I don't. I think I remember. When that came out, that there was talk of it being like a remake of the book or, you know, there was the other movies like it. And I remembered that one of the older ones had like very different scenario or not scenario, but uh, the antagonists. Yeah, the enemies of the lead in all three versions are very different. Oh, okay. So I, I didn't know if it was just one. I think I always thought it was just one of them had something extra weird, so... Yeah, Omega Man and the uh, the Last Man on Earth are closer, where they're both like kind of logical thinking beings, even though they are like inhuman in some way. Mm-hmm. And then in I Am Legend, they were just, to my recollection, just like crazy, fast running weirdo monsters. Yeah, kind of like a fevered, feverish zombie kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Which I remember being one of the lesser points of the movie if not how they looked just those things in general i haven't Uh, seen that since the theater the look is terrible yeah they look horrible i think it was a big thing at the time that the 
going to say the director didn't like the practical makeup, so they went back and CG'd all the zombie cats or whatever they were. <laughs> and yeah. it was it was not a good idea. Because I actually really liked the first half of that movie. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to like about that movie. There is. But, man, once you see, you can't not look at those things and kind of cringe because they're so, like, cartoony bad looking. Yeah, I remember them looking pretty rough. We'll save that for the Will Smith episode. <laughs> mm, hopefully Ooh. we do have one of those. <laughs> Let me take a long way around to get to a bit of backstory for me and the Omega Man. Oh, yes, please. Do you remember the first podcast you ever heard? Yes. What was it? The quick preambles when I was in college, graphic design. I must. Someone in my class must have like talked about these things called podcasts, which I was like, what the hell is that? And, you know, lifelong comic fan. So some way, somehow, I don't know how I ended up on it, but I ran through probably in the last two years of college, ran through like endless hours of comic geek speak, which was like, I haven't listened to it in years, but I want to say it was like four or five dudes, like comic fans that would talk shop a little, but they would get interviews with with pros, Mm -hmm. artists and writers, so... I don't remember exactly how many episodes I probably listened to, but I listened to a lot because they had quite a backlog even then. And this was mm-hmm. probably like 2005-ish, 2006. So I graduated in 2006, so 2004, 2005, 2006. So, you know, pretty early in the podcast game, I think. Yeah, sounds like it. Yeah. Fun fact, uh, Comic Geek Speak uh, were the ones who put on the first comic show that I ever attended as like an artist behind a table. Oh, what show was that? It was called the Comic Geek Speak Super Show or something like that oh, in, no I think, Reading, Pennsylvania. No way. Yeah, and it was kind of a shit show, which I won't go into here. I'll just leave you with that little <laughs> little tidbit for you to right. <clears throat> to think on. I'm going to make a note of that. And uh, But anyway, I ask the question because the first podcast I ever remember listening to was Penn Jillette had a very short-lived podcast. I think he actually had a radio show, and mm-hmm. then they would release it after the fact online. And I've always been a fan of Penn and Teller. Mm-hmm. And so sometime in that like 2006, 2007 time frame, so it sounds like significantly later than you, I started listening to that show, and then I just remember being like, man, podcasts are cool. Like, what else is there out there? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, as a fan of movies, I happened upon Film Spotting, okay. which I don't know if it's still around, but uh, it was like one of the first, most popular, and like longest running movie podcasts out there mm. with a bent towards the more like. Um, intellectual conversation okay. <laughs> less just like guys re- reviewing movies and more like a lot of like thought put into mm. themes and things like that mm-hmm. so i listened to it for a while i eventually found other shows i liked more but uh the first time i ever watched the omega man was because they used to do series where they would say like all right in uh in the uh, four episodes from now we're going to be doing like a 70s sci-fi series so you can watch all these movies and then like listen along when we you know review them or whatever and uh i think that they did like planet of the apes soylent green and the omega man and like a couple of others those are like the three charlton heston sci-fi mainstays okay and uh so the first time i ever watched any of those three movies was because it was like ooh, i want to like be part of this and like listen along and know what they're talking about oh nice 
Look at that. And so it was because of a podcast that I first watched The Omega Man. Man, look at, if you could go and tell them the monster they created. <laughs> yeah. And then not too many years later, I would start podcasting myself, and it's mm-hmm. all been downhill from there. Yeah. yeah, you can't stop yourself. Yeah. Can't stop, won't stop here at Triple Threat. <laughs> yep. Well, I mean, we might as well just barrel right into the Omega Man then. Okay. Uh, Omega Man. 1971. And oh, brothers and sisters, I ask you to look at him. Does he have the marks? Do you see them? No. You see him as we were before the punishment, before we gained grace. You see lying there the last of scientists, of bankers, of businessmen, the users of the wheel. Do we use the tools of the wheel as he does? No. Is he of the family? No. Oh, no. Is he of the sacred society? No. Then what is he? Evil. He is part of the dead. He has no place here. He has the stink of oil and electrical circuitry about him. He is obsolete. You are discarded. You are the refuse of the past. You're full of crap. How hard it is to admit the truth. Take him to the little room for the questioning. Did you know much about the movie? I mean, you knew that it was related to I Am Legend. I knew it was related to I Am Legend. I mean, just the, I didn't, I tend to, now that we've, you know, really got the ball rolling on the show here, I don't, I tend to not do too much research when I'm watching something I haven't seen. Mm -hmm. Just like, it works better for my lizard brain to just kind of, Take whatever at face value. I think that's part of the fun of this show is if there's a movie that you haven't seen, mm-hmm. just like, you know, I have to watch it now, so let's just go for it. Yeah, that's that's what's been working best for me. <laughs> like all of the research and stuff and the reading that I do like to, for the little tidbits and stuff is all done after I watch the films. Right, right. But I find myself like, you know, getting excited when I see people that's like in a movie that I would have had no idea otherwise because I didn't look ahead. So, mm-hmm. It helps. Situations like this, like I was saying, like I knew one of these movies or one of like the I Am Legend movies was going to have something weird in it. I didn't know what that weird thing was, but um, I knew it was one of them. So as I'm watching the movie, come to find out it is, I mean, it's definitely this one. What I, what I thought I had heard, you know, years ago or whenever about the albino mutants with the robes mm-hmm. is in fact this movie. So, oh, that was the weird thing. I was waiting to find out what yeah. the weird thing was. <laughs> I think again because it was always just the mindset of like, I am legend in these movies. I think it's you know supposed to be just kind of like a zombie vampireish kind of thing, and then these guys show up with like they're kind of talking normal and weird, yeah. but they're you know dressed crazy, you know. So the Vincent Price film, which came like six or seven years before this, it was a form of vampires. Mm-hmm. And that's where the whole, like, they only come out at night thing came from. Okay. But then uh, I learned that when John and Joyce Corrington, a husband and wife writing team, wrote this movie, Joyce had some kind of, like, uh, chemistry or biology background or something like that. And she thought it would be interesting and, like, just to reimagine it as a more scientific thing where it was germ warfare that created, like, a plague 
rather than I think in the original and maybe in the original book it was like a disease transmitted by mosquitoes and bats mm. or something. Do you know like in the book what the people ended up turning into? I think the book and the original movie are pretty close. So okay. in the original film they they don't dress in funny robes or anything and I I don't remember if they really look different. It's been a while since I watched it. But um you know they are intelligent and can speak and they do only come out at night. It's very similar. Just Vincent Price is holed up in a house and he goes out during the day and has to make sure he's home by night. And they like, similar to this one, they like harass him at night and like bang on the walls and yell shit at him. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So there's a lot of holdover between that one and this one that I can recall. Gotcha. Like I said, watching this, so I was, I kind of had an idea of the general, you know, last man on earth and. I was kind of curious, like, what's that going to look like from a movie, you know, from the 70s? Where, where... they couldn't CG people out. <laughs> yeah, which is like I Am Legend was famous for. Um, I was actually kind of surprised because there's a lot of, sh- like, wide, wide shots. Of, yeah. I and, guess it's L.A. where there's no people. Yeah, and I was reading about it wondering, like, what kind of tricks did they use? Like, is any of this matte paintings or something? But apparently it's not. Everything that I read basically said that in, like, the business district of Los Angeles... On Sundays, it would be like mm. dead. There was no one out shopping. So they just filmed the outdoor scenes on Sundays and there was just nobody around, which That's seems amazing. fucking insane because it's L.A. Yeah. I mean, it is the 70s. So, you know, it would presumably be different from what we imagine it to be today. Totally. But I would also think if it's like a business district and there's like shops and stuff, wouldn't mm-hmm. the weekend be the time people would be out shopping? I don't know if it means like it's more like a financial district or something. It's not even so much business, like like mm. storefront business. It's more like it just sounds to me like Boston. You know, what it sounds like is um where we do the Heroes Con in Charlotte. All that area is like the downtown where it's kind. Of, it feels like a dead zone over there when it's not like a day of the week. Mm-hmm. I get the. I must be like something like that. I would think. Yeah, because yeah, you're gonna get foot traffic if it's stores, but if it's more just like, I just high rise office stuff. I actually took this as a note. Um, so this is like a direct quote from Wikipedia or somewhere. It said, "In order to make the city look abandoned, they shot in Los Angeles on the weekends when no one was out shopping." But I mean, that oh, okay. just maybe right, right. that just may be a generality, and you may yeah. be right. It might be like the more of a business district. But either way, there were some extremely wide shots in a populated city for there to be no people. I mean, maybe possibly the widest natural shots of any movie I've watched in quite a long time. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, I did read in the trivia on IMDb people saying like, oh yeah, there were like bystanders and stuff you could see sometimes. I never saw one. No. Not that I was looking that hard, but no, I didn't see it. Yeah, same here. Yeah, whenever there was a wide shot, I was looking deep in the background like, did they block off some streets but you can still see cars mm-hmm. or something but yeah a couple times i was like is this just like a photo that they're zooming out on so there's no <laughs> movement or like what but yeah regardless i mean it worked you know it, yeah, it certainly it is sold convincingly abandoned very much so i mean so right off the bat i noticed that and enjoyed it and milzy i mean charlton heston has a machine gun out just randomly firing into buildings before the credits even rolled. <laughs> yeah. Which was a surprise. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he's so, militant. Yeah, I was, you know. I, I was, thought it was funny later on when he inevitably meets other normal human people. 
Mm-hmm. And he's like, how have I not seen you? Like, where have you been for the last two years? And they they live, like, further outside the city, which seems like the smarter thing to do that Charlton Heston doesn't do. Right. And uh, one of them mentions, like, between the family, which is what they call, like, the mutant creatures in the movie, like, between the family coming out at night and you during the day shooting at anything that moves, we figured it just <laughs> made sense to stay out of there, which is hilarious because it's like yeah. he was, like, not on purpose, keeping other people away. <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. I guess it's worth saying, since we haven't explicitly said yet, the premise of this movie is just that there's like a uh, a war between, I think, China and Russia, germ warfare is used, and then it creates a plague which kills most people, turns some people into like albinos who can't stand bright light and so they kind of hide inside and at least in the city of los angeles where this movie takes place all of the mutant albino people have like banded together and formed almost like a religious cult that they call the family and they refer to each other as like brethren and they the leader forces them not to use any modern technology because he perceives like technology as being the thing that caused the plague to happen in the first place so right that's his blame for like humanity's downfall. Yeah, so like, you know, they could take out Charlton Heston super easily, but they insist on not using guns or modern weapons. Like the closest mm-hmm. they get is they build like a giant like catapult Trebuchet. thing, yep. yeah, to launch like fireballs at his house. But even so, like there's a lot of my biggest problem with this movie would just be the lapses in logic. Mhm. Because it makes a little more sense when you have, to my recollection, the mindless creatures like in the Will Smith version, Mm -hmm. because they're not like constantly searching for Will Smith or whatever. He just has to like avoid them. But in this movie, it's like they're intelligent. They know where Charlton Heston lives because he lives right there in the city. And he like locks up every night and turns on these bright lights to keep them away from his building. But you'd think... That during the day when he's out running around, they could, like, set some kind of trap, even if it had just involved, like, catching the house on fire. Like, that would do them in, because they use fire. They walk around with torches. Right. Yeah, it, it's really nonsensical that Charlton Heston has survived two years outwardly hunting and murdering the family members whenever he gets an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And the worst they ever do is, after two years, build, a like, a giant bow and arrow or like crossbow and fire <laughs> fireballs at his house and just stand outside and taunt him all mm-hmm. night. Well, Milzy, I'll come right out and say it. I hate the family. <laughs> yeah. I think it's like some of the worst stuff I've seen. Just the, the look, um, their overall behavior. Mm-hmm. I mean, not even so much that like, you know, I, I've seen and enjoyed I am legend and like that, that kind of like monster makes more sense to me. Cause it does. Mm hmm. But it's just like, uh, this felt like such a weird decision. That's why I kind of even asked, like, what is in the original story? Because I feel like there's no way it's this, like, anti-technology cult of albino mutants. Like, it just seems so out there. Mm-hmm. It's like, where are they getting their velvet robes from? <laughs> like, why Why is this going on? Like, And just the whole thing. Don't get me wrong. It was like a what the fuck moment when he first like comes home to his house and like they bust open the window next to it and dump fire on him. Yeah. And I was like, whoa, 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 what's going on? You know, and then he has to take a few of them out. So that was like very like uh, abrupt introduction to them, I felt like. Mm-hmm. 
And then just the whole time, I was just like, anytime they talked, I was just like, why is this? Like, why are they the bad, the big bad in this movie? Yeah. I just felt like very uncompelled about the whole thing. I just hated them. I was like, this, they could have had any other thing. They could have just been wild animals loose from the zoo or after them or something. <laughs> yeah. Like these robed yeah. freaks, you know? There's there's just a lot of things that don't make sense. Like I I can get behind to a degree the whole idea that they're like a cult and the leader won't let them use technology. Sure. But then like it's it's So like okay, you turn into one of these things, which mm-hmm. basically just means your skin turns pale, your eyes look all funny and you can't stand light. But does it also like alter your brain chemistry and right. make you evil or something? Because at the end of the movie, they don't really touch on this at all until the end of the movie when the female lead all of a sudden turns into yeah. one of these things. And then like you would like she immediately goes from being on Charlton Heston's side, knowing that there's a cure. He's cured her younger brother mm-hmm. and they have plans the next day to like leave and go up in the mountains where the family can't ever find them. She goes straight from that to as soon as she like turns into one of them, she like joins the family and like believes in their ideals and it, I'm wondering, like, does that mean that you actually become some kind of, like, weird cult member just because your brain chemistry changes? But then, like, Charlton Heston wants to save her, so, like, he tries to escape with her, and she's not putting up a fight, really. No. Like, they get outside, and they're hiding in the light where the other family members can't get to him. But then when the main family member, Matthias, comes to the window and is calling to her, it's almost like she's drawn to him. Mm-hmm. And it's just like I don't fully understand what is up with the family members. Like they don't make a lot of sense to me. And from scene to scene, they just don't act the same. I mean, I agree completely. I mean, it totally it feels like such a like a out of left field decision to have this as the characters. Like, yeah, it doesn't make sense at all. Like if the why, you know, why does the the plague kill some people and then you know, will make you turn stark white and be evil. I mean, they at least they should have said that rather than yeah. But even then, then why would she just suddenly turn after all this time? Like, what was she? Yeah, well, I mean, they mentioned there's things that I can get by with, like the fact that they say there's like three stages of the of the disease, and they try and explain like older people just died and younger people, like everyone has the plague, and for right. some people it comes on faster than others but inevitably all of them will turn unless a cure is found like i can deal with all of that because you know diseases and and some like things like that affect different people in different ways yeah but for me the real problem is if i I can see like okay these people turn into this like they look different now and i can see if the only person who doesn't look like them is being like violent towards them aka charlton heston Mm -hmm. that they would like band together for like support and strength and numbers and everything and i can see if they have all banded together and lived with one another another long enough and one of them is like a a sociopath who's basically a cult leader and he convinces them all to think the same way as him that i understand that's fine But then why when she, what was her name, Lisa, the Mm -hmm. female lead, why when she turned did she immediately like become one of them? That's the thing I don't get. Yeah, 
totally overnight. As soon as you see her, she's got the, the velvet robe and she's evil. Yeah. You know? That is the part that really and that comes right at the end of the movie, like into the like halfway into the third yeah. act. Like that just feels like a major misstep to me. Big time. It doesn't even add anything. Like that didn't she didn't need the turn. It would have made some more sense if he just killed her. Yeah. You and know? even like so at the end of the movie, he uh Charlton Heston's character, uh Neville, has run outside with her and she's like not fighting him, like I said. She kind of goes for the leader when he comes to the window, and then Charlton Heston gets stabbed in the chest, and she's, like, there next to the fountain that he's in, just, like, reaching out for him and kind of acting like she's sorry, but she can't help herself, and then Mm -hmm. the next morning, when, uh, I mean, Charlton Heston said the sun was going to come up in, like, 10 minutes or whatever, so whenever their other human friends roll up in the truck... She's still laying there on the ground like she didn't go with the rest of the family members and the other humans like pick her up and are like put her in the truck. We'll take her with us with the serum and hopefully cure her and she like doesn't put up a fight. She goes right with them. So like is she with the family or is she not with the family? It's not a question for you to know the answer to Mills. Yeah, it it sucks that like this is the big hang up like but it really is a problem to me. It is for me big time. Just. Straight up from, like, this cat and mouse game has gone on for two years where it feels like they, there's enough of them they could have easily burnt his house down and killed him. Or set any, up traps in the street or any number yeah. of things. Any number of things. They got they got time to, you know, build trebuchets and go to the seamstress. They got time to set some traps or do something to this guy. Mm-hmm. So all that just kind of drove me crazy. But I'll tell you, Milzy, I'm conflicted. Uh Uh-huh. I don't really like Charlton Heston. Just in general or in this movie? Just in general. I've only only seen a handful of his movies, but he just doesn't do anything for me as an actor from what Mm -hmm. I've seen. So that being said, throughout the movie, I'm like, well, it's Charlton Heston. I don't really care for him, whatever. I mean, it's flat out ridiculous. That he gets harpooned in the chest from a hundred yards away. Mm-hmm. It's probably one of the best kills I've ever seen for a triple threat show. Yeah. It's pretty I good. mean, it's amazing. I mean, he has a gun. Yeah. Shoot and he doesn't even get a shot off at Matthias standing over in the balcony. Mm-hmm. Matthias flat out spears him in the heart <laughs> from across the street. It's yeah, amazing. if it was that easy, if he was that good of a shot with a spear, you'd think that Charlton Heston would have been dead long ago. <laughs> See, like, I couldn't remember in that moment he's picking up the spear and she's walking, uh, Lisa is walking towards the window, and I didn't remember how it ended exactly, so I was thinking to mm-hmm. myself, is he going to spear Lisa? And then, nope, just one in the chest to Charlton yeah. Heston. And then he, like, stays there overnight and dies in the morning. I was like... Yeah, well, like, like I say, it, it's a little jarring, but he does say, Charlton Heston, when they're about to leave the garage, that the sun's going to come up in 10 minutes. Yeah. So theoretically, I mean, the sun's pretty well up. It could have just been like an hour or two before the other people show up. But yeah, he was still like standing there hanging on the fountain instead mm-hmm. of like slumped down or sitting or having <laughs> right. walked and laid down somewhere. It is a little weird. But he I, just, don't know. I mean, he very, Neville very much goes out like a punk in this movie. <laughs> he got speared in the chest, and then he's, you know, left to die. Mm-hmm. It's just lucky that the one other, like, adult, aside from Lisa, who turns and 
Charlton Heston who dies happens to also be like a biology <laughs> right. student in like grad school, so he would know what to do with the serum that uh-huh. uh, Charlton Heston gives to Very him. convenient, Millsy. Yeah. But. Um, what did you think of the earlier segment of the movie with, you know, him on his own wandering around and like early scenes of him just chilling in his his house? I mean, I I like that stuff. Again, yeah, I, I, like, feel like, I like I like I like that's my favorite stuff from Iron Legend. It was my favorite stuff from this too. Yeah, I feel like that's good stuff in any one of these like Last Man Alive movies before mm-hmm. the plot really kicks in, when it's just him rolling around like he yeah. gets a flat tire, so he just leaves a perfectly good car and goes to like a used car car right. dealership and just steals another one. Yeah. And, yeah, and he's like he's like grabbing cool cars and he's like mobbing through the streets. Like I that, <laughs> watching that, I'd be like, that's what I would do. <laughs> I can totally down. see that. Hands <laughs> you down. just like cherry picking cars and yeah. just like speeding around town. I mean, Millsy, it could be, I could know that the family was out there and it could be two solid years of me just like bombing Joy around riding. in cars. And like, I'll be like, I'll get to them later. <laughs> but it's going to be like me like setting up ramp trucks so I can just like jump cars off them or something. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's totally me right there. It's a good way to get yourself killed in the post apocalypse. Well, you know, guess you don't have much to live for at that point. I mean, I got plenty of room to practice, I guess, you know. <laughs> but yeah, I was thinking like early on in this movie when he goes to the theater and he has obviously like set up a generator yeah. in the movie theater so that he can watch movies when he's in the mood. Mm-hmm. But I was thinking to myself like, man, 1971, this is like before VCRs. Like, what the fuck would you do with your time? Because like if you oh. could, if I could, like if the post-apocalypse happened and I could set up a generator in my house, mm-hmm. then I'm good to go with a 700 plus Blu-ray collection. Like, oh, dude, forget it. I wouldn't have to like play chess against a statue <laughs> like he does in this movie. <laughs> like there would be better yeah. things I could do with my time. Yeah, you, would, you wouldn't even load up the Julius Caesar bust to bring back to your house. No, like, you don't even that. need it. Yeah. Fuck that. I mean, once the power goes out, you know, it's a different story, I guess. Oh, but. sure. But, I mean, you know, if you got the Jenny. True. You're true. good to go. Just got to go siphon some gas. Which would be tougher around here because I live in the middle of nowhere, so I would probably run out of cars pretty yeah. quickly. That's true. I digress. Um, <laughs> one of the interesting things that I do find about all of these kind of movies as well, and I guess we can touch on it with the other ones as we get to them, is the whole idea of, like, the personality of the person who's left behind and like what they decide to spend their time doing and like collect, like you mentioned the Caesar bust Mm -hmm. and you know, Charlton Heston has like set up this like nice looking pad for himself. He kind of insinuates that that was where he lived before the apocalypse happened. Yeah. Seems like it. But, um, you know, it was all like nicely decorated with like art hanging on the walls and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And then like, obviously, Wally collects things and brings them back to his little home. And <laughs> right. you see the kind of house that uh, the dude in the quiet earth decides to set up for himself. And mm-hmm. I just find that stuff interesting. It's fun to yeah. watch all of that character building. Yeah. Before... I could like totally watch more of that. Mm-hmm. It's sure. done with, again, back to, I keep going back to I Am Legend, but all that stuff is done really good in that. Mm-hmm. So, you know. See, even in that one, didn't Will Smith like regularly go to like Blockbuster Video or yeah, something yeah. And, and like borrow movies to watch? Yeah. See, like and that that's yeah. an easier existence than fucking chess yeah, versus totally. a Caesar bust. <laughs> I mean, he set up like the mannequins that he would talk to. Like, oh mm-hmm. yeah, that's a good one. You know. Hey, see you next week. Blah, blah, blah. 
That is another thing you notice in a lot of these movies, though. Like uh, even in this, him talking to the Caesar bust, mm-hmm. like it's always anthropomorphizing, uh, um, like inanimate objects. Oh yeah, yeah. It's like, it uh, makes you Wilson, wonder, like, you know? like if if the apocalypse happened, and mm-hmm. you were the last person left alive, mm-hmm. how long in days do you think it is before you bring a mannequin home and start talking to it? That's a lot. I don't see myself doing that. But every movie think. shows that that's what you do. <laughs> yeah, I see myself more pulling like uh, Tom Hanks in uh, Castaway. A volleyball? Like, well, just like an inanimate object, like not necessarily. I don't see myself like, yeah, you know, I really got to get that mannequin. I could definitely see myself. I don't know. I don't know right, what I would So the question though. still stands. How long in days, weeks, or months hmm. before you start talking to the living room ottoman? <laughs> uh, I feel like I'd have a good amount of time, Millsy. I'm going to, I'd say at least two months. <laughs> okay. That's fair. That's fair. I feel like it would be a while, but I mean, I'm going to be like. Well, you know me, Millsy. By day two, it's going to be a lot of, like, under my breath, like, what the fuck? <laughs> Just, like, in general. Yeah. So I will be, like, talking to myself. Talking to it... yourself, I think, is is obvious. Yeah. Like, that's, I mean, that's going to gonna... happen to anybody. That's but... going to happen real fast. I mean, that's usually happening by, like, 8.30 every morning period. So. <laughs> I mean, it's going to be day two of the apocalypse. I just don't know if I'm going to start just, like, throwing that out there to something else. Ottoman or, you know, uh, mannequin, what have you. Yeah. Uh, how about you? Ah, oh, man, I'd like to think that that's not me. Like, I would definitely do plenty of talking to myself because I already mm-hmm. do that already. Yeah. But yeah, I, I don't know. I You see it in every movie, and I think about it when I watch movies like this. Like, how long until I just go crazy and start talking to things? <laughs> but I don't know. I, mean, I would like to think that I'm going to last a good a good year before oh. if I can make it a year, I think maybe then I start talking yeah. to like my, my body pillow that I find <laughs> in the post apocalypse. <laughs> so I got a couch and you got a body pillow. <laughs> I mean, realistically, I'm probably going to like, like I said, like rig up some kind of like death trap through with a car and kill myself in a car crash by myself before I get as far as talking to things. Well, it's good to have a plan. Oh, I guess. <laughs> so, yeah, um, all Ooh. told, um, I like the, I like a lot of things about uh, Omega Man. I like the time period and what they were, ma- they were able to pull off in the time period, all the stuff we talked about, like the, uh, the empty streets and mm-hmm. all that feel of it. Uh, dislike most of the things about the family, like you said. Yep. Yeah. I, one of the things that I kind of dislike that I feel like pretty much all these kind of stories fall back on is it never really is the last person on earth. Like inevitably they always run right. into somebody else. Right. So like when he finds an entire group of people living at a house somewhere, it's just kind of like, oh, this again. But, mm-hmm. um, I mean, you see why they, that's a more compelling story, but yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I even remember, did you ever watch the show? I'm, it might even still be on. I don't know. I'm so disconnected from, like, primetime television. But uh, the Will Forte show, Last Man on Earth, did you ever watch no. that? No, I've never heard of it. Uh, it was literally a show, like a, a half-hour sitcom, where Will Forte plays, like, I don't 
I watched the first episode, um, but like the whole thing is it's like he's the last person alive. And I remember thinking like, wow, like a comedy about the last guy on Earth. Like that sounds like really interesting. And then I want to say in episode one, he already runs into another person and it's like, oh, well, Mm. I was interested in seeing if they could do an entire season of one person by themselves. But interesting. You're familiar with the uh, the Twilight Zone episode. The one with the the glasses in the library. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I don't think I've ever seen it, but I've actually I you know that's one. I feel like that's one of the most like culturally pop culturally known ones. Yeah, totally. I feel like I've seen parodies of that on like The Simpsons and other shows. Not not quite in the same vein, but in the nineties, I remember there was a sitcom where it was like like a handful of people living on a farm after a nuclear. like war or something like a slightly post-apocalyptic. Do you have any uh, recollection I, of that? If you could only see the the furrow of my brow right now, <laughs> I, it sounds fascinating. I like don't know a, what you're talking about though. Like a, a comedy sitcom. Yeah. I, I And it was like, from what I remember, it was like, yeah, a handful of people on a farm that like came together after, I don't know if it was nuclear war or what, but. I have no idea, but I am definitely curious now. I'm hoping that wasn't a fever dream, Milzy. I'm going to say it right <laughs> now, but we'll see. Yeah. Um, really quick before we move on, want to mention that the director of this movie, Boris uh, Segal, is the father of Katie Segal. Oh. Uh, your friend and mine from Married with Children, Futurama, and Sons of Anarchy, among others. Absolutely. Great actress. This is... He directed a lot of TV movies. I think that uh, Omega Man is one of only like two theatrical films he ever directed. Mm -hmm. And just a wild, crazy factoid that I learned about this guy is that he died by walking into the tail rotor of a helicopter and being partially decapitated. (laughs) Damn. I think it was in like 1981 and he was making a... He was working on a TV miniseries called World War Three, and mm-hmm. he like got off a helicopter, just turned the wrong way, oh. chopped off part of his head, and died in the hospital five hours later. That's brutal. Yeah, which is fucked. But I just—it's one of those things where when I read it, I was like, "What are the like? I, how did I come across this information?" <laughs> yeah, seriously. Wow, that's a hell of a way to go out, Mills. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, just like, oh, Katie Seagal's father. That's how he went out. That's weird. Yeah. And uh, the writers I mentioned, John and Joyce Corrington, uh, they wrote five movies in their careers, mm-hmm. one of them being this and some of the others being Boxcar Bertha, which was the third film Martin Scorsese directed. It was made for Roger Corman, mm-hmm. starred uh, Barbara Hershey and David Carradine. Uh, they wrote a Pam Greer-like almost like post-apocalyptic medieval movie, I think, called The Arena. Okay. I've seen it. The thing that sticks out mostly in my mind is the uh, the chain mail, like, bikini top that Pam Greer wears <laughs> throughout the movie. Gotcha. But um, it was like a low-budget action film. And they wrote the fifth and final installment of the original Planet of the Apes series, Battle for the Planet of the Apes. Oh, all right, all right. So. Huh. All right. Uh, Milzy, a bit of housekeeping. Uh huh. The uh, previously mentioned post-apocalyptic sitcom show. Yeah. Uh, ran for ten episodes on Fox in 1992. It was called Whoops. <laughs> what? 
That's the title? Yeah. Wow. That's one of those things where, like, man, it sounds like it had the half a season and got canceled. And, like, how many people in the world like, actually <laughs> actively remember that? Just your boy, probably. That's fucking wild. Bills, they, they had 13 episodes were made, but only 10 were aired before Fox canceled the series. Wow. I am really interested in seeing an episode of this <laughs> oh, now. Whoops. Did you watch the show or did you yeah. just know about it? No, I watched it. Wow. Whoops. I know. While you guys were like watching like good Simpsons and stuff, I'm over here watching whoops. <laughs> Only you. <laughs> Fascinating. Oh, boy. Learn something new every day. Uh, yeah. I definitely learned that that show existed because I never would. I mean, you could still be lying to me for all I know <laughs> because I have no facts to that's back this up, but that's the, a fascinating The uh, long revelation. con. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, boy. All right, well, uh, shall we move on to our second film? Yeah, sure thing. All right, so from 1985 in New Zealand, we have The Quiet Earth. I have dedicated all my scientific knowledge and skill to projects which I knew could be put to evil purposes. For the common good, they said. easy to believe in the common good when that belief is rewarded with status wealth and power how hard to believe in the common good when every fiber of my being tells me that the awesome forces I have helped to create have been put into the hands of madmen! I've been gay by the bummer of my own corruption! Is it not fitting then that I be president of this quiet earth? I've been condemned to live. So briefest of synopses for this one is a guy wakes up uh, completely naked (laughs) Mm -hmm. on top of the covers, uh, Mm -hmm. bird's eye straight down shot of him just laying there naked, which is took me by surprise. I'd forgotten about that. (laughs) I and seeing that I immediately said to myself, is this British? Because I just got that feeling. I was like, "Uh, like not a word was said. And I was like, is this British? (laughs) So, yeah. Guy wakes up, uh, you know, gets ready for work, leaves, uh, starts to realize there's nobody around, goes through the paces. Uh, Turns out he worked for some government, like, project called Operation Flashlight, which had something to do with, like, some kind of energy grid communication energy field like across the world or something mm-hmm. um so he's assuming that his work had something to do with the event taking place you know goes a little crazy reels it in starts like you know prepping and trying to figure out what happened uh and then runs into a woman they 
get it on, live at large for a little while, and then they run into another person, a, another guy mm-hmm. uh, named Oppie, and then the movie proceeds from there with them like tooling around and just trying to figure out what's going on in the post-apocalypse. Indeed. So I'm very curious to hear your thoughts on this one. Okay. Um, this is the last one I watched. I watched Obingaman, Wally, and then Quiet Earth. So as I got to this one, I was like, I was like wet, ready to to watch all the like, what's this guy? How's this guy going to go about his day? Mm-hmm. And he goes off the rails pretty quickly. It feels like, <laughs> yeah, pretty pretty quickly. He's like dressing in women's clothes and like screaming <laughs> like a dictator from his balcony down to like cardboard cutouts of Hitler. <laughs> Where did he get all those cardboard cutouts of famous yeah. people? Yeah. It's like Hitler and uh, Ronald Reagan and mm-hmm. Alfred Hitchcock. He's got like yeah. life-size black and white cardboard cutouts I mean, that he scatters yeah. around the lawn. And then he sets up, because this is mid-80s, he sets up like five reel-to-reel like uh, audio tape players mm-hmm. with like music on one and crowd applause on another. Like where do you get a tape of yeah. crowd applause? Yeah. So like, this guy is crazy i was like i was like is this movie just gonna like eventually be that he's like in an insane asylum and this is all a dream because <laughs> this guy's this guy's nuts i mean it's 85 millsy was there even like an fye or a strawberries he could go to to get all these cutouts but then who would have a cutout <laughs> of hitler so yeah i don't know especially in new zealand in 85 i do not have yeah. a clear idea of I, uh, it, what they're well, shopping uh, landscape was like I mean and that this movie's only 90 minutes this is a good 15 16 minutes in it felt like mm-hmm. he's like he's off the rails big time doesn't take too long no um he ends up like shooting up that uh church and like shoots shoots up a Jesus on a crucifix and I think that's that's kind of his turning point because then the the woman shows up like in the next scene well it's like like I said he he like tries to figure out what's going wrong for a while. He like goes to the radio, st- the local radio station and he records a message that says like, if anybody hears this, like either call me or come and find me at this location. He stays in his house for like a week or two, hoping someone will show up. And then I think he starts to realize, well, like no one's coming. Why am I still leave- living in my shitty dump of a house? So he goes and finds like a mansion somewhere and takes oh, up, yeah. sets up shop there. That's when he kind of loses his mind and he starts dressing in like a woman's nightgown. And I think he's probably thinking like, uh, you know, this is all some crazy joke from God. So he goes and shoots up a church. Yep. And then I think he comes to a realization at some point like, okay. Let's reel it back in and be logical about this. And that's when he moves to yet another location, which is just like a normal house. And he like sets up a computer and he's like running all of these programs and trying to figure out what went wrong. And that's when the girl shows up. So he's kind of come full circle back to a logical human by the time she arrives. Mm-hmm. But exactly. back to my question, just what were your what were your thoughts on this one generally overall? Overall, I liked it. It was so off the rails that I was like, I was totally feeling like, what am I in for with this one? So once um, Joanne shows up, it kind of it kind of got back on the rails for me. Yeah, the reason I ask is because unlike Omega Man, where it's like he's the last man alive versus mutants, mm-hmm. or Wally, where it's like he gets whisked away on an adventure to save humanity, this one 
is far less complex in yeah. its like actual plot elements. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I don't know if it was just being the the last one I watched, but I ended up enjoying its simplicity. Mm-hmm. You know, I like it. It it and it ramps up like the sci-fi as the movie goes on. Yeah, with like the explanations, even like why those three are alive, mm, why yes. this thing has happened, what happens in the climax, all of that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's got. I mean, it's it's competently made. It doesn't feel like a Hollywood movie for those reasons, because you know it was in New Zealand. Like you can just kind of tell, mm-hmm. if not just for the flat out male nudity in the first, you know, twenty he's seconds. He's naked a couple more times in the film oh, yeah. too. But there's a scene where he just goes to the beach and he's frolicking naked among the waves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's plenty of that. So it just it, you know, it certainly just feels different. But I did enjoy it. I mean, I don't, it's not crazy, you know. Um, with a big budget or anything like that, mm-hmm. but it, it's it's sci-fi makes sense to me, you know, yep. for what it is. Kind of like a a quick sidetrack to that is: Have you seen the movie Yesterday that came out recently? I have not. I'm I'm aware of it, but I haven't okay. seen it. All right. I don't want to spoil anything, but I mean. Uh, on the sidetracked podcast, uh, Jesse pretty much already told me the whole thing oh, okay. because well, I'm not really a Beatles fan. I don't really care all that much. Gotcha. Oh well, well, perfect. So basically, in that movie, like the one dude, you know, remembers the Beatles, and he ends up like coming across a couple other people that do, but there's no ever explanation why these people do remember anything versus mm-hmm. people that don't. Which I guess for most people is fine, but when I was watching that movie, I would I would have liked any kind of throwaway line about why. Yeah, because it could have been like, oh, you know, because they were, I don't know, asleep at the time, or you know, d- dead or whatever, mm-hmm. some kind of trauma. I remember thinking that watching that movie recently, so that that is actually what they use in this movie to explain. Yeah, when the event that made everybody disappear happens, like at that exact moment, the three characters in the movie just happen to all die at that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The main character was committing suicide like he took a bunch of pills. The girl, Joanne, was blow-drying her hair and like got electrocuted. And Oppie, the third guy, was being murdered. <laughs> he was like being, being drowned, drowned in a river. Yeah. And all three of them just happened to die at the same moment as the event happened. And so either they are the last three people left or the three of them were transported to an alternate Earth. I mean, the door is open for lots of interpretations oh, in this movie. totally, totally. Which that level of open interpretation in this movie, like, as you know, sometimes I have issues with, like, oh. how vague... Yeah, Plots I was just going to say. And films can be kind of like you were just saying about yesterday. Like sometimes stuff like that bugs me. Mm-hmm. But in a movie that is this like open ended and the whole point is like what is going on. Right. And combined with the final shot of the movie, which mm-hmm. I remember watching this the first time. I don't remember really what my feelings were on the movie until the very end. Like the one thing, because it's been a good 10 years since I saw this the first time. The one thing I really remember about that first viewing was the final shot of the movie just being like, what the fuck? (laughs) And all of that culminating in the final shot of the movie, I Uh just, I dig this on like a deep sci-fi level. Oh, And that's why, even though not a whole lot happens in this movie, Mm. I get real into this one. Oh, awesome. 
Like I, I wanted to put this. I think Quiet Earth is the reason I came up with this trio. I was like, I want Dax to watch Quiet oh, Earth. That's and awesome. I man. need to pick two other movies to put with it. Oh, I'm pumped because like I would like surprisingly like, really enjoyed this movie. This part where like the guy Appy like his story, you know, where it kind of like comes like his background stuff like felt kind of crazy, like unnecessary to add that in about mm-hmm. like why he's being murdered. Like I remember being like, why is, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't, what they tell you was going on with him. Like, I feel like when you give that backstory, it's cause he's going to like act on it later in mm-hmm. the story, but he doesn't. So I was like that uh, at one point I was like, why is that even in here? He does seem kind of unhinged at times, but I mean yeah. like who wouldn't in this situation? Sure. Like homeboy sure. before they met up with him was running around in a women's yeah. nightgown, yeah. like Dude's crazy. yelling at Hitler. <laughs> Right, right. So, totally. Um, but yeah, man, that, I'm actually pumped to hear you like it so much because I really did too, especially for something that like couldn't be any farther off my radar as a thing I never even heard of. I, mean, I had I had to look at our list so many times just to remember what this third <laughs> movie was. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that you like it because it does feel like one of those ones that you know during that time period when I first got Netflix and I was just jamming through. Like the first time I ever watched Scarface and The Godfather and like tons of other movies or like going through John Carpenter's entire filmography. Like I don't remember what led me to this, but that was the beauty of that time period for me as mm-hmm. shitty as it was that I was like bedridden for a lot of it mm-hmm. is that, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, it's like I was watching so much stuff that it was yeah. like any feeling of like, oh, I need to see the classics or whatever inevitably went out the window and I, I was getting yeah. a new movie in the mail every day basically from Netflix so I right, could just right. like experiment with stuff. And I found some interesting movies like this one that, uh, you know, you don't hear talked about a whole lot. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 not, certainly not good, con- you know, uh, a reason why you had to go through that, but that's what came out of it. So, I mean, that is... Yeah, yeah, as weird as it is to say, it was an oddly defining point in my life. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. So. But uh, yeah, um, worth noting, this is one of Neil deGrasse Tyson's 10 favorite science fiction I films. I saw that too, I, <laughs> which is cool. I mean, I, it's it's really solid sci-fi, and me and you are big-time sci-fi fans of mm-hmm. like all kinds between crazy outlandish and sensible Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this falls somewhere in the middle. It's funny. Did you read the rest of Neil deGrasse Tyson's top 10 sci-fi movies list? No. Because I lost, as I'm reading through the list, the site that I saw it on, it was in chronological order of release instead of like, this is my number one, this is my number two. So I got low down on the list and I lost a little respect for him when he included The mm. Island the Michael Bay movie with Scarlett Johansson. Oh, oh but no. then I gained back a bunch of respect for him when his runner up was Blade Runner. And he basically says that, you know, there's cool ideas and the movie looks great, but it just doesn't appeal to him on like a emotional or intellectual level. Like it does for most fans, oh, which is exactly how I feel about that movie. Yeah. Huh. So <laughs> okay. I guess it was a wash. Yeah. So, yeah. I'd say so. Yeah, man, this movie's it's real good. I mean, this is like easily would recommend to sci-fi fans because it doesn't it doesn't bog you down with the sci-fi at all. Like I said, it like kind of ramps up over the course of the movie. Mm-hmm. And then I mean, we've had we've had like long talks about movie like 
ambiguity in movies, even like off the show. Yeah. Where it's like, I would say I probably am fine with more of that than you are. So this movie falls into that kind of realm. Yeah. It's really so dependent you, on the film. Yeah, no, it's, it's not it's something really like a situation. Like get into too much here and now, but like yeah, I no. said, this movie, it feels like the entire film is predicated upon the unknown. So mm-hmm. when the movie ends with such like a what the fuck moment, yeah. and it's not all explained to you, like mm-hmm. there is that part of me that's like, I have to run to the internet and see if the writers or director had ever like said what it actually was. But yeah. then when there is no explanation out there, it's still a good, satisfying experience of watching the movie because it doesn't feel like the movie needs an explanation mm, to be good. Yeah, that's a good point. That's There's good some point. things that I feel like, you know, a lot of times I'm disagreeing with the, you know, the popular opinion that a movie, is, or like an element of a movie is too vague. But then mm-hmm. there's plenty of instances, like the ones I always go to are the end of Inception and was it all a dream? Will the top mm. fall or not? Or John Carpenter's The Thing, like is uh, Child's The Thing? Like these are things that that I do not need, like explained to me. Like it's fun to have that hanging question, and I think the Quiet Earth is a similar situation. It doesn't really apply to the thing, but it a hundred percent does. (laughs) Because the man who made the movie (laughs) has come out and said that he has no opinion on the matter, one way or the other. So, well, that doesn't matter. The guy who made it, yeah. I go by what's in the movie, Milzy. Yeah, and Childs is not shown to be the thing oh, in the movie. God, it is left completely right. vague. For future. <laughs> For future episodes. We're inevitably going to talk about the thing at some point, and we can devote an entire episode to this argument. <laughs> oh, we will. <clears throat> and no, Joel is not allowed to be a special guest on that episode. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. <clears throat> well. <clears throat> yeah. Quiet Earth. It's great. Mm. It's great stuff. Yeah, and um, to what I was saying before about how it seems like a trope of any time there's like a last man alive kind of movie, um, you inevitably meet up with other characters. And that does happen in this. I do appreciate that there still are so few people. Mm -hmm. There's, aside from uh, the brief flashback where Oppie is being murdered and you see his friend like holding him (laughs) underwater, Mm -hmm. you only see three people in the movie aside from that guy. Yeah, that's true. Unless you count cut out, uh, cardboard cutouts of Hitler and no, and, and you don't. <laughs> and Alfred Hitchcock. <laughs> I think the Pope's in there too. <laughs> that is a weird fucking scene. Like I am totally behind the idea of like someone going a little cuckoo bananas and like talking mm-hmm. to inanimate objects or like you know doing some crazy extravagant shit in the house. But he went to an awful lot of work. Like yeah. there was a lot of groundwork involved in that moment yeah. of him just right. like going bananas and shouting at a bunch of yeah, cardboard yeah. cutouts. Like if you, if you want to show like the, you know, training montage scene of him like collecting all this stuff and setting it up and all that, I'd be like, dude, that's all, that's a lot of work. Yeah, like he to had go, to do to go wiring crazy. and just Oh yeah. Man, it is, yeah. That like, would prob- I, that would potentially be my least favorite scene in the whole movie just because it like yeah. of oh. all the crazy shit in this film that is a little bit of a suspension oh. of disbelief for me. Oh, hands down. Cuz that's what I was like rolling my eyes at that scene. I was like, god damn it, what is this movie? Like I was like, I just finished Wally. Now this. I was like, what's going on? <laughs> well, I'm definitely glad to hear that it rained itself back oh. in for you. 
Same here, man. I'm I'm very glad to hear you like it so much. Yeah. See, Milsey, I mean, all the years of being friends, we never would have talked about this movie otherwise. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, there is a reason to, to do this show after all. It's yeah. good to know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. All right, all right, on to film number three. Indeed. Uh, Wally from 2008. Mm-hmm. Hey, hey, Otto, what's that flashing button? My captain, Brooklyn has returned positive. Positive? But no probes ever come back positive before. Congratulations, Captain. If you are seeing this, that means your extraterrestrial vegetation evaluator, or Eve Pro, has returned from Earth with a confirmed specimen of ongoing photosynthesis. That's right. It means it's time to go back home. Home? We're going back? Now that Earth has been restored to a life-sustaining status, by golly, we can begin Operation Recolonize. I've, I mean, I already said that this movie brings me close to tears. I've loved this film since the minute I first saw it. I mean, I've got no problem saying this movie is a masterpiece to me Mm -hmm. personally. It's one of my favorite movies, flat out. Like it's, it's got so much heart that, like you said, from a little tiny ass little robot. But it Mm -hmm. just, this movie delivers like emotionally so much. I mean, I remember I was like, this was one of those movies I was like, I fell in love with it when I saw the trailer. <laughs> and it's still, it's one of like the best trailers, I think. Well, it's Got definitely it. possible that there's some people listening to this show who do not understand how much of a fan of robots you are. Mm, that's true. That's true. Like, I would say that probably in your top five favorite things in life are robots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. Not, and not even so much like. Well, see, because I hate those, you know, damn, like, Boston Dynamics robots, those creep robots, but, like, pop culture robots are hands down my jam. Yeah, it's just fascinating how robots are simultaneously one of your favorite and most feared things <laughs> right. in all you know, of life. But Yeah, I don't even try to, you know, I don't even try to explain it anymore, Millsy. Just roll with it. <laughs> um, But, yeah, back to little Wally there, man. It's just, like, this... This movie is so good, and it's such... I feel like you could write... Like, there could be classes taught on, like, how good the storytelling is in this movie. hmm You know, like, smarter people could go on and on about how, you know, not a single word has to be said. You know, yeah. just, like, the acting they get out of this animated film is just unreal. Well, very telling is the fact when I was reading about uh, the production of this film that uh, Andrew Stanton and, like, the main guys who worked on it for like, yeah, it was a crazy amount of time for like 18 months straight while they were prepping for this movie. Uh, every day during lunch, they would watch like uh, Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin movies oh, nice. and shorts just to yep, understand yep. visual storytelling better since they were planning to have so little dialogue. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I always talk about 
Like, sometimes you can't stop me from talking about how incredible Jackie Chan and his movies are. Yeah, and that's true. <laughs> how important um, visual storytelling, cause and effect, and choreography in conjunction with cinematography are mm-hmm. with uh, the fight scenes that he does. And he is a massive fan of both Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin as oh, well. Oh, nice. Okay. And I mean, it just goes to show that if you want to try and do something visual, be it a little robot being sad and falling in love or an awesome fucking fight scene with like a bunch of power tools, uh, mm-hmm. like it all comes back to just basically doing your homework and understanding how to put a sequence together yeah, without having to fall back on dialogue. Right. I mean, hands down. Yeah, and I mean, this movie, like, everyone likes to talk about how the opening, like, 20 or 30 minutes is dialogue-free, and it mostly is. I mean, you do have some of the narration and backstory stuff from uh, uh, Fred Willard, but, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, as far as Wally himself is concerned, uh, you you get across a lot from a character that doesn't even have a face (laughs) to emote with. Yeah. I mean, for me, like... Again, like fan of like robotic stuff and like the tech aspect of it. Just the design of him being like trash compactor robot that, you know, his entire body can just like shrink back into that cube. Yeah. Like that, that gives me like heart palpitations right there. Just like how (laughs) amazing that is. And then you give him, you know, a personality Mm -hmm. and like his little like collector mentality. Yeah, you know, I definitely is... identify with him on that front. <laughs> oh, yeah, the sure. fact that every day he's bringing home shit and just putting it in his uh-huh. little house. Yeah, he sees yeah, like, something that makes fire. It's like, ooh, you know. And then and he, has then a whole he brings it home. He's got twelve letters. of them. Yeah. And the fact that he just obsessively watches movies. Yeah. Or movie acts about you know. Yeah, I, I'll so tell good. you. As far as Wally and his design is concerned, I've not looked into this, and there might even be something on my Blu-ray, uh, like a special feature. Mm-hmm. But I would love, like, I don't know if there is an art book for this movie. I don't know if Pixar really does that for their films oh, they the do. way, like, oh, yeah. Marvel does. But oh, I, I would love one, yep. to see just, like, the, I'm sure there's, like, 78 stages of design from, like, initial concept to how they ended up on Wally's inevitable look. I have to check. I haven't looked at that one in a while. Because but... you know it had to have taken them a long time long to settle time. on his final yeah. design. Yeah. Like right down to, you know, you always hear crazy stories. It feels like every 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 like decision made at Pixar is some kind of like magical revelation mm-hmm. <laughs> the way that they talk about it. But mm-hmm. like uh Andrew Stanton was apparently at a baseball game and somebody gave him a pair of binoculars so he could see see the field better. And according mm-hmm. to the Wikipedia article, it's like uh uh, you know, they say that he missed the f- entire first inning of the game because he was just fascinated by the binoculars, and that's what they based <laughs> Wally's eyes on. And, oh, yeah, like I love that. Mm-hmm. This guy's little tank treads, you know. And even like back to like the design part of it, where it certainly could have made it where just like you know a little door opens and his feet and his arms disappear. But no, it's like they they like tuck in perfectly and like. They like complete the corner of the box he turns into, like yeah, just all these like cool little design ideas that they implement. Where his little solar panel comes out yeah, of on his yeah. chest. Yeah, it's just it's so good. 
Mm-hmm. It makes them like it's simple. Like Wally's like a great design because it's one of those characters. Like you, you could like quickly sketch out what Wally looks like, and he's identifiable as Wally mm-hmm. without like worrying about like the minute details, but just like the overall shapes. Yeah, and that's what's part like you know great silhouette, everything. But then the next level of that is all like the tiny details, which are like perfect. Mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah. And then contrasting his design with Eva. Yellow, totally. Where she, it's, it's like Wally almost looks like a, like an Apple computer from like 1981. Mm-hmm. And she looks like a modern she's like, like iPhone the or something. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Totally. She's, yeah. She's got like all that, like the rim lighting and like, she's kind of opaque. So you can see the lights from underneath. Mm-hmm. You know? And even things like, the sound of Wally's voice sounds like it's coming out of a tinny old speaker mm-hmm. and hers has that like little digitization of oh, it yeah. when she like laughs. It's not something that I can like recreate, but I can picture it, like <laughs> hear it in my mind. Like right. every one of her, like if she goes like he, 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 every one of those has like three different pitches that it like alternates between because it's mm-hmm. almost like, uh, like sliding a digital music scale or something up as as her mm-hmm. laugh goes I, I don't even know how to describe it but no i mean yeah i know what you mean because like his are like simple sounds where hers are more complex mm-hmm. and speaking of the the sound stuff uh now is as good a time as any to mention i didn't know this until i was reading about the movie just today uh so the guy who does the voice of wally uh do you know who that is ben burt no uh, not a voice actor. He is a sound designer and sound effects man and has done the sound effects for such franchises as Star Wars and Indiana Jones. No way. Like, he creates all the robot noises and stuff for the Star Wars movies. That's awesome. So much so that apparently he had just finished doing all three of the prequel Star Wars films mm-hmm. and uh, said to his wife, like... Uh, I never want to work on a movie with robots ever again. <laughs> and then Andrew Stanton <laughs> came to him and was like, I'd really love you to do this because you're the guy. And he basically told him, uh, you're going to be doing the quote unquote voices for 80% of the cast of this movie. <laughs> and he so loved the story that he decided to, to uh, go ahead and do it. Yeah. And then even more fascinating than that, Alyssa Knight, who does the voice of Eva, do you know her deal? No. I love this so much. Alyssa Knight is a, she's just like an assistant at Pixar. Like she doesn't really have a title. She just like helps out and, you know, does odd Mm -hmm. jobs and things from what I understand. She's a facilitator. Yeah. And so, you know, I guess around the Pixar offices, uh, when they're doing like audio recording for like um, their, uh, like, animatics and stuff like that they'll Mm -hmm. just get random people in the office to do like temp voices Mm -hmm. that will later be filled in by a-list actors and all yep and so she did the temp voice for eva and then ben burt the guy who does all the sound and he did the actual voice of wally and created all the robot noises just to add to the effect when you're watching like the animatics and the previs and everything, he added like a digitization to her voice that basically created the Eva voice. And then Andrew Stanton was like, she sounds great. We don't need an actress. Just use her. That's awesome. And she's one of the main characters in the movie now. That's amazing. <laughs> and I mean, all she had to do was say Wally over and over again, but right. 
God, I love stories like that. Oh, it's so good. And she's done yes. voices now in a couple of other Pixar movies as well. But she's not oh, an actress yeah. or anything. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's way cool. Mm-hmm. Man. I mean, we could just go on and on about how good Wally is. <laughs> well, let's touch on one or two specific things. Uh, Please. What are your thoughts on the live action in this movie? Mm. Because that's definitely something unusual about this one. I had a feeling that was going to come up. It's, I could really like take it or leave it. It doesn't bother me. Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't ruin anything for me. I don't feel like it's a decision I would make if it were me. Yeah. Just because there are human characters in it. Mm -hmm. If that was like the only time you saw a human, it would make more sense. Oh, yeah, but the fact that they come back later and they're actual characters in the movie. Yeah. Like, there's actual... That are animated. See, yeah, they do see animated people. Like, if it was just, like, you know, the guy on the screen or hearing the voice, like, that's all you saw, it would make more sense to me why they chose that. But, mm-hmm. again, it it doesn't, like, bother me enough to say, like, it ruins anything for me. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I could just kind of take it or leave it. I've always found it weird, and I never bothered to look up why they did it. Mm-hmm. And now I know, and I'm kind of down with it. Uh, mm. So, A, uh, Andrew Stanton very early on came up with the idea of wanting to use Hello, Dolly, the uh, musical, as like that video that Wally watches all the time. And then they use like three different songs from the movie in Wally. Okay. Yeah. And it totally makes sense that they wouldn't want to like do an yeah. animated Pixar version yeah. of that. But, totally. Like, that became so important to him because I guess I've never seen Hello Dolly, but based on the little thing I read with him without going too far into it, it basically mimics the storyline of Wally's character, obviously not the apocalypse and everything. Mm-hmm. So well, the, the songs just like matched perfectly what they wanted the beats in the movie to be. So that makes sense why they would want to have those video clips. But even then, I still thought it was weird that they decided to have Fred Willard appear in the film <laughs> as a character who's live action. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then I was reading more about it, and um, the production designer, Ralph Eggleston, talked about how, like, originally Andrew Stanton's idea was um, when Wally made it to the Axiom spaceship, it was going to be filled with, like, these aliens that look like big, like, gelatinous blobs, almost shapeless. Mm-hmm. And over time, you would realize that that is what humans have become. Mm. Like they've just like reverted to like blobs Goo. because they never yeah. do anything and their bones have dissipated and all this stuff, which is theorized by scientists as being like a possible thing that could happen. But eventually, okay. Andrew Stanton realized like that's just a little too obtuse for the movie we're trying to make. So they scaled it back and ended up with like the basically big baby people. And. Uh, the production designer said that if um, if the historical humans had been animated and slightly caricaturized like Pixar typically does, then the audience uh, wouldn't have been able to recognize as easily how serious their de-evolution oh, was. Oh, okay. So like if you look at a human, like a real life human, and then see that they've become these big fat like infant blobs with like tiny fingers and toes and everything... Yeah. Uh, it just pushes even more like how far we've fallen. Whereas if they had like some funky looking block headed, you know, cool design Pixar animated character, right. 
yeah. you wouldn't get the same sense of like extreme right. devolution. It, w- it wouldn't feel as drastic. Yeah. Which is a really solid point, I have to admit. It does, yeah. I mean, I'm, I mean, that makes me perfectly fine with it. it. On the one, the one part of it is like, it totally makes sense to like, for the Hello Dolly part, not to like make an animated version of that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it makes even more sense now that they wanted to make sure that was intact. Mm-hmm. And then to And even like you said. even at the end of the movie when uh the captain of the ship uh, who's never seen Earth before is like talking to the computer and like learning and they're showing all the images of Earth, like the the version of the planet that we see in the beginning of the movie, we only ever see it like destroyed and horrible looking like a wasteland with piles of trash and destroyed things everywhere. So seeing actual images of like the real planet and like beautiful fields and like cityscapes and stuff. Mm -hmm. I think that there's something to that connection, just like with the people and how far it's fallen. Yeah. I think that that sends the ideal home to the viewer. Yeah. So it's like the actual beauty of the world. It's like something I never understood, but now that I know the brief explanation for why, I'm like totally into it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, me too. Because like I, it was like I said, it was thing I never like cared either way. But mm-hmm. now that it's got a solid explanation, so I like it even more. Yeah. So I thought that was neat. Oh, nice man. Sigourney Weaver as the voice of the computer. Yeah. yeah. I, I I don't know if I knew that. I noticed it this time around, but I don't know if I knew that beforehand or not. I think I knew about it before I even saw it the first time. I had heard that she was in it, but um, she has a pretty recognizable voice. And it was like the in-joke with everybody at Pixar that she was now doing the voice of Mother, the Hmm. computer that controls the spaceship in the first Alien film. Right, right. Nice. And the the autopilot is actually voiced by Macintalk, the text-to-speech program from Macintosh Computers. Oh, no way. It's a great voice. (laughs) It really is. It definitely sounds like they, like, deepened it and made it, like, more Yeah, some more reverb or something. That's pretty hilarious, I think. Yeah. No, I mean, totally solid. Mm -hmm. All around. Yeah, just... This is the perfect example in my eyes of that thing that it's like everyone says it about Pixar and for the most case it's true where they can make a movie that is simple and understandable mm-hmm. and entertaining enough for a child to enjoy but has like super deep levels to it in yeah. in some cases not every case of Pixar movies but this one especially this one especially that you know it you can really dig into as an adult mm-hmm. as well I mean, in in the in the running for my favorite Pixar movie, I go yeah. back and forth between this and Up as my favorite. Really? Yeah, I know I'm kind of like odd man out on that a little bit, but I mean, I'm a big fan of Up as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that Up and Wally are probably both in my top five. Although there's so many good Pixar movies, it's tough to even say. But it'll just—I have such a long-standing nostalgic connection to the original Toy Story that I don't think anything will ever unseat it. Mm-hmm. But that's fair. That's yeah. fair. As long Wally, as you don't say like Wally cars or something. There. Yeah. yeah, no, 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 not cars. I mean, <laughs> I'd allow you cars because I know you're a car guy. But yeah, but even then, it's so, so, so far down the list. Yeah, I probably like Brave over Cars. Ugh. I know. <laughs> uh, I don't even want to have that conversation. <laughs> I don't want to be put on that spot. I I've only seen both of those once, so I couldn't even tell you. But mm-hmm. yeah, I don't. I didn't care for Cars at all. They're all better than the good good dinosaur. We can just leave it at that. <laughs> 
really quickly before we cap this one off, uh, Andrew Stanton, director of this movie, mm-hmm. uh, also co-directed A Bug's Life and directed Finding Nemo and Finding Dory. Okay. Uh, after Wally, he jumped right into live action and made, in my opinion, the criminally underrated John Carter. Oh, how can I forget? Mm-hmm. Millsy. I mean, criminally underrated for sure. That movie is awesome. Yeah, it really saddens me that we don't have a trilogy of John Carter movies because I love that movie. It is a damn shame that it's like the two-pronged thing. They should have called it John Carter of Mars mm-hmm. or, you know, what is it, Princess of Mars? Uh, the, um, John Carter of Mars, Warlord of Mars, Princess of Mars. Right. <laughs> Any one of those is better than John Carter. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I remember at the time someone said like that like Mars needs moms or something. There's too much Mars movies that year, and mm-hmm. that just that didn't help its case either. But it really feels like it's one of those movies that just not enough people saw. And if they did, they'd be like, "Damn, John Carter rocks." Yeah, I love I, that. Movie. I agree. I think that movie's great. Oh, it really just should have been called either Warlord of Mars or John Carter of Mars. Yeah, and totally. I mean. You know, the opening of the film, they could just have it say John Carter, and then at the end, like they do before the credits, it could change to John Carter of yeah, Mars or something. Absolutely. But, I mean, some idiot or group of idiots said, you have to leave Mars off of there, and it was a mistake. Yeah. I'm with you. Mm. Uh, yeah, we're going to have to watch that one sometime just so we can talk yes, about it more. <laughs> a- absolutely. Andrew Stan, I mean, double thumbs up for that one-two punch. Yeah. Uh, also has directed two episodes of Stranger Things. I didn't realize that. Oh, no way. Yeah. Uh, directed an episode of Better Call Saul and an episode of Legion as well. Interesting. All right. And then uh, Andrew Stanton co-wrote this movie with a guy named Jim Reardon, who is of note to me because he directed 35 episodes of the early Simpsons seasons. Oh, I didn't write down all the ones that he worked on, but like Lemon of Troy is a classic episode that I love that he wrote. He wrote a, just a whole bunch of good ones. Oh, cool. That's a lot. 35 episodes is a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was one of those early Simpsons guys who was around from, if not the beginning, like the very early seasons. Nice. And his last episode was around season like 12 or 13 or something like that. Oh. So he got out when the getting was kind of good. I can dig it. Uh, also wrote uh, Wreck-It Ralph and Zootopia. Oh. Or had a hand in writing those, at least. Cool. Wow. Go, Andrew. Mm-hmm. I like that guy. Yeah. So, uh, anything else for that one, or are we just oh, uh, fucking love it all around? If, yeah, if we don't stop now, we'll just keep going all night, so <laughs> might as well reel it in. Yeah. I tried to find the budget and box office info for all three of these movies, Quiet Earth and Omega Man. I couldn't really find anything, but uh, uh, Wally budget was $180 million and box office was 533.3. <laughs> I mean, dude, like, 180 is a lot of money still to this day, 10 years later. Mm-hmm. So, like, no surprise. It blew that out of the water. Yeah. Just a great goddamn movie. It really is. Wally almost feels like a movie that like should deserve credit and not get it, kind of like John Carter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's great that everybody embraced it the way that they yeah. did. Yeah, totally, totally. <sighs> All right. Um, shall we talk about right, some posters? Movie. Oh, please. Uh, starting off with the Omega Man. This is one of those movies from this time period. I feel like there was a certain era 
where they would have the same like two or three elements, but have like 17 different layouts for a poster. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I just picked the one that seemed I, I saw in the most places. Okay. Yeah, that uh, works. So you basically have Charlton Heston holding a rifle with kind of a cool rectangular design element behind him with some blue mutant faces in it. Yep. Uh, What are we looking at at the top there? Can you tell? Is he like on a motorcycle or something? It does kind of look like he's sitting on a motorcycle with maybe some of the hooded figures holding torches in front of him. Yeah, I think I feel like there's a fire something or other going on back there. Yeah, I feel like they could lose that bit because it doesn't really yeah. add anything. But For sure. Uh, the font and the red for the title and the uh, and Charlton Heston's name I like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same here. It's got a reasonable tagline that's not too long. The last man alive is not alone. <laughs> right, which is, you know, makes little sense and all the sense for the movie. <laughs> So yeah. Like well, the fact that it's like those that text is in amidst a bunch of like right. creepy faces. Yeah. And those faces do look creepier here than they ever do in the film. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh this just has that old school 70s feel and I I dig it all around. Mm-hmm. That is your uh, your aesthetic, Nilsy. What about you? Uh I enjoy it. It's kind of the same thing. The top bit feels like pointless. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Um, I'd cut that right out. <laughs> you know what it feels like to me? <laughs> Were you ever a reader of Mad Magazine? Yeah, off and on, but not not hardcore. Through the years, uh, pretty much every issue of Mad Magazine, at least during the era that I was reading it back in like the 90s, when Sergio Argones was working for them, on any given page, there would just be like a little doodle by Sergio Argones in like the borders of the page. Mm-hmm. Just like a little something funny happening. That's what that top bit kind oh, of reminds cool. me of. Like it doesn't like need to be there at all. It doesn't match artistically the rest of the image. It just looks like something somebody threw on there for no good yeah. reason. Like at the last minute, like, why is that all that white space up there? Put something in there. Yeah. That's what 70s and like 60s posters were all about, though, is that white space. Oh, totally. Yeah. So it seems like an awfully weird, weird choice, especially since we can't tell what it is. But. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm gonna say it's certainly a motorcycle, but yeah, yeah. gross. Good time. I I concur on all fronts. Yeah, uh, I'd say a good poster overall. Mm-hmm. Uh, next up, we have the Quiet Earth, and uh, it's a beautiful image. I love this poster. The one thing I will say is, if you look at the poster, it ruins the final shot of the movie that I that was that raving about earlier. <laughs> I agree completely. Like, I think this is an excellent poster, like one I would own, mm-hmm. but it also gives you like a sinking feeling of like, this should have been kept under wraps. Yeah. It's a great image to advertise a movie as, I f- or with. Mm-hmm. I feel like if you watched the movie based just on this poster, yeah. you'd be disappointed because that image doesn't come until the very end and isn't right. explained. Whereas if you look at this... I would imagine a movie where it's like a guy on some alien planet the entire 90 mm-hmm. minutes. <laughs> totally. So it it's like twofold of why it's like why that's a detriment is it gives you like the wrong sense of what the movie is. And then for me, it would be like, I'd see that and then just be expecting to see that the entire movie. Mm-hmm. So I would like see it coming. So it, 
you lose like the gut punch of when it's the final shot. Yeah. Which is a bummer. Where really but. visually it stands out like a sore thumb from the rest of the film when it when it shows up at the end. Yeah. Oh yeah, big time. And so it just it leaves you with this weird, eerie feeling of like, what is happening? This doesn't match with what I just watched at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but there it yeah. is right there on the poster. But it is a beautiful image. Oh, it's great. It's a great poster. Really is. I like having it's not even a tagline, it's a quote from Albert Einstein at the top. <laughs> Mm-hmm. The creations of our mind should be a blessing, not a curse to mankind. Yeah. It actually fits perfectly with mm-hmm. the movie. So. And I also love the logo design on this because it it just has that feeling of this felt like a futuristic font back in the 80s. Yep. yep. <laughs> it's just like blocky and rounded and mm-hmm. fat. And yeah. Some bits are connected. Some aren't. Yeah. Like, I love that R and that Q. Yeah. The Q is great. I love the TH that's connected. Yeah, yeah it no. the TH connected almost has like a Star Wars feel. Yeah, I like this. I like this a lot. Yeah, it's a it's a great poster. Just my only mm-hmm. qualm would be that it does ruin like the very yeah, end no, of the movie. It does. Bad call from the marketing standpoint, but great poster. Mm-hmm. And then Wally, I'm not a fan of this one. Yeah, I mean it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> I mean, for as good as the movie is, though. I've never liked this poster. I think the problem is it's not conceptual enough because mm. it it's trying to uh, just sell the movie with like clear visuals to an audience. Like, yeah, it's futuristic because you see like the Eva robot and the spaceship and it's got like mm-hmm. outer space. And here's your main character, big front and center waving at you. Right. But even then, it's like, why is the earth like blue where it's never, you know, it's all the earth tones throughout the entire movie. Mm-hmm. But it's like, is that just to sell the, you know, to make him stand out because he's mostly orange? Like, it's just. I think it's just a, yeah, like a clean, welcoming tone and look to it. Yeah. Which, I know, it just bugs me. I, there's no. Uh, while he's too small, I don't think the spaceship needs to be there. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. just, I feel like there's a lot of. Better ways to pull this off, especially for how good the movie is. Yeah, I mean, it it does just feel like a boardroom full of people, like totally settled yeah. on this. Right, this has to be here. Like, yep, send it. Perfect. Mm-hmm. It's Pixar. People will come see it. I feel like that's kind of been the case with all of the animated movies we've watched for this show. Like the uh, if you think back to the poster for um, the box trolls. Mm-hmm. And oh, how like yeah. boring and generic that was, just with all the characters running at the camera, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and yeah, even uh, uh, how to train your dragon was a pretty bland yeah. poster. Yeah, they got to take more cues from uh, our friends that made Sword of the Stranger because that's poster rock. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no <laughs> kidding. Forgot about that one. Yeah, right. No, but you're totally right, man. Those those three, yeah, those those feel like designed by committee. Mm-hmm. Of non-artists. Yeah. So, uh, boy, I... uh, Oh, here we go. How many uh, albino mutants are you going to give these posters? (laughs) Is more albino mutants better or less? Is it like golf where albino mutants are bad so you want less of them? I'm going to let you come up with the point system. All right. So the grading works. (laughs) You figure this out in your own time. 
I'm going to give Wally four albino mutants. I'm going to give the quiet earth two albino mutants. And I'm going to give the Omega Man also two albino mutants. They Interesting. Tie. Interesting, Milzy. You? <laughs> um, I would go... Yeah, I'm going to give... Wally's going to get four albino mutants. <laughs> it's just like a step above being a bland as hell poster. It's 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 lucky that it's Wally on there and not something else. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um I like the Omega Man one, but there's a lot I would change. Really? Well what what well, else? You didn't really mention anything when yeah, we were talking. I didn't really get into it. Well maybe I shouldn't say a lot. I like all the elements that are here. I'd certainly lose the top part and I feel like I'd ra- I don't love the layout of Charlton Hessen's name with the Omega Man. I bet you that, that was a uh, like old school Hollywood like my name has to be as important yeah. oh, yeah, as yeah. the title thing. So just like that step bit I don't like. I'd like either one bigger than the other or however they do it. So I shouldn't say I'd change a lot, but I feel like those two change those two things would change it quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Only um, thing I would change about that poster personally, like the only thing that bugs me is that top bit needs to go, but Yeah. I feel I gotcha. So I would say yeah, four for Wally. Mm, three for Omega Man. Two for Quiet Earth. And the only reason Quiet Earth doesn't get a single uh, albino mutant for me is because it does. It's like as it's an advertisement, it's just it feels wrong. Yeah, I mean, we try we try to judge these things based on just the poster alone, but yeah, this is like. It's so good looking, but it's such a spoiler. Yeah. That I kind of you know. would like to get a copy of this poster and hang it on my wall yeah. though, now that you, you I can see that. I mean, hang it yeah. up. Yeah, I would I would hundred percent like if I had a movie room, I would this would be in the circulation. Man, such a fucking cool painting. Yeah, totally. <sighs> well, Mills. All right. Uh About that time. Bye Barrow Burn. Bye Barrow Burn. Uh, would you like to go first, or shall I? I would. I'll go. Please. I mean, I think it's the probably writing's probably on the wall with this one. <laughs> I feel the same. <laughs> uh, Wally is possibly the easiest buy in all of existence up <laughs> until this episode, probably going forward forever. Um, you know, no brainer. I did buy it. I own it. I I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, so he comes down to Omega Man and Quiet Earth. One I had no idea of, one I was vaguely familiar with. I enjoyed both. I hate the family so much <laughs> that I have to launch this movie into the weird-ass sun that's in the Quiet Earth. <laughs> You're going to launch it into Saturn or whatever the hell that is? <laughs> Whatever the the sun's like blinking in and out of existence or whatever. Oh yeah, like the fam. I wanted to just send the family out there. I would. Well, I if you send I the would... family out into the sunlight, they're going to die, which is the oh, uh, the, the cruel irony of it all. Oh. <laughs> <Perfect>. <laughs> Launching Perfect. them into the sun feels like overkill. But... Perfect. Yeah, I would. Lo- I mean, I'd love to see this movie without with any other antagonist other than. The robed family. Well, you have. You saw I Am Legend, so there you go. <laughs> sure. Well, there you go. So, but again, there's this like, you know, I feel slightly bad about it because it's got 
one of the greatest on-screen kills we've seen yet (laughs) with that spear throw. So that (laughs) turns into an easy borrow of The Quiet Earth. I loved it. I mean, that's a great movie. Yeah, I'm so glad to hear you uh, enjoyed that film. I mean, if I could buy two, they'd certainly be up there. I mean, if there was no Wally in this trifecta, and it was, I mean, I could, I don't know what the third movie would be, but Quiet Earth would be easy buy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's great. I mean, That's it's great. great. I something I would want to watch again for sure. It's funny you mentioned best kills we've seen so far. I honestly, one of my favorites that took me by surprise again when I watched uh, the Omega Man is. Uh, when he first shows up to his house and you mentioned they like dump fire on the car and everything. Mm-hmm. The one member of the family jumps out a second story window and lands in the back seat of the convertible that uh, Charlton Heston's driving. Yep. And then he uh, hits the gas, speeds into the garage and hits the <laughs> oh, brake at the, <laughs> the brakes at the last second. And the yeah. guy goes flying out of the back seat uh-huh. over the front seat and the hood of the car and into a pile of boxes like right. that stuntman fucking yeah. took one he, for the team. He and earned his then, keep that day. Yeah. And then the character stands up in the pile of boxes and Charlton Heston just blasts him with his machine gun and sprays <laughs> yeah. blood on the wall. Yeah. That was a pretty good kill. That was good. There's some great squib work in this movie, actually. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I love that like bright orange red fake blood. Oh, yeah. Totally. <laughs> that is like a very period thing. Yeah. Uh, but I gotta, I gotta say, I'm right there with you. Wally is oh. a great movie. Always loved it. Um, as much as I like the Quiet Earth and I appreciate the weirdness and the science fiction, it's just Wally is a super well-rounded movie. Mm-hmm. And the Quiet Earth, there are things I love about it, but as a whole, it's not as satisfying as Wally. Truth. And uh, you know, as much as I don't hate. Uh, the Omega Man, I as well have big problems with the logic behind the family. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, that they they flat out ruined that movie for me. Yeah. It's definitely some bad decisions made. I'd yeah. be curious to personally rewatch The Last Man on Earth with Vincent Price and if you were to watch it, hear what you thought as well in comparison. Because mm. I remember thinking back when I watched all three around the same time that the Vincent Price one was my favorite. I don't Ooh. think any of them are perfect by any means, but... Yeah, I, I can dug, make that happen, Millsy. I dug the Vincent Price one, but... Um, so in summation, uh, buying Wally, I as well have bought it. Um, if I stumble across it somewhere, I will buy a copy of The Quiet Earth. I think it is on Ooh. Blu-ray. There you go. But I will borrow that one for sure. And uh, I would place Omega Man out in the sun and let the family <laughs> burn to death. I don't know if it necessarily deserves to be launched into the sun, but. <laughs> well, they do. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, the movie has to go along with them. Yeah. Yeah, they're a package deal. Mm. Millsy, we've done it again. <laughs> yes, we have. Well played. So uh, how are we going to do it next time is my question. Go on. Uh, Well, we have 214 trios Mm -hmm. ready to be Mm -hmm. chosen by Lay Random Number Generator. Here we go. 214. Millsy. Yep. 83. Ooh, 83. Going back a little ways here. Ah, okay. (laughs) Uh, theme for the next episode of Triple Threat Theater is going to be a brush with death. Yep. Yep. 
Uh, I'll go ahead and tease you by saying I have never seen any of these. Oh, I've seen, um, I think, one and a half. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. One I've always wanted to see, one I feel like I should have seen by now, and one I'm just curious about. (laughs) Oh, interesting. You decide which. And dear listener, based on those little hints, Uh I'm sure they won't help at all, but please. No. Give us some guesses. What do you think yeah. A Brush With Death is going to cover? Yeah, well, there's, these three are covering a lot of ground. Mm-hmm. So, But they do yeah. all have something very specific in common. <laughs> very true. <laughs> well, I'm ready for it, Milzy. Ah, you and me both. Well, with that, it has been Triple Threat Theater, episode 28. Mm-hmm. I, Joe Daxberger. And I'm Ryan Miller. Thanks for watching. That was one of the finest movies I've ever seen. They ought to make them all like that. None of this nonsense about social matters. People don't go to the movies to see how miserable the world is. They go there to eat popcorn and be happy. Be happy, happy, happy. happy.